This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Well, hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George. So, another game, another game that seems to have split opinion, but not quite as much this time. I think most Albion fans are taking the positives out of the draw with Huddersfield. Yep, pretty awful for half an hour, but after we got control of the game, the Baggies largely dominated had enough chances in the game to win it. And if we had a bit more competent refereeing, probably would have done so. But Pete, before we get into specifics about Huddersfield, I want to start off on a bit more of a general point, because after um, when Huddersfield scored their first goal, I I turned to my dad, I, you know, wasn't trying to make any sort of a, a real tactical point or anything here, but it was just the words that ex- escaped my mouth. I turned to my dad after the, after the first goal went in and went, why does everything, everybody hit against us, go in at the moment? And then I kind of thought about it a little bit more. And, and, and you and I have worked up the XG. Our XG against this season is 4.26. And our actual goals conceded is eight goals conceded. Now, of those, two goals have come when teams were, team were four, we were four up against the team, which was Hull, obviously. And then four of the other goals have come from outside of the box. So the two against Blackburn, the one against Watford and the first goal yesterday. And then add to that, the only goal we conceded in the League Cup came from outside the box as well. So that means five of the nine goals we've conceded in all competitions this season have come from outside the penalty box. Now, I haven't had the time or the inclination to sit down and work out what that looks like for every team in the country. But I will sit here and happily wager that there is not another team in the country at this moment in time who've conceded more goals from outside of the box than they have from inside it. It's a crazy, crazy statistic. And my question to you, Pete, is why? 
largely. Are, are we conceding these goals because we aren't pressing the ball uh, enough, which was definitely the case against Derby for the for the goal? Are we not pressing the ball and closing people down and stopping them taking these long shots and they're having too much time to accurately put them where they want to? Is the fault does the fault lay at button as we criticised him for the Blackburn goals or certainly I did? I'm not going to lump you in with my boat. Or are we just genuinely unlucky at the moment? Or is it a bit of a mix and match of all of the above? Because I'm just trying to work out whether we've got something here that we actually need to be concerned about or whether we've just got a bit of a freak occurrence that is a total and utter data anomaly. And as the season goes on, it is just going to level itself out because teams, surely to goodness, cannot keep scoring goals from 20 plus yards against us. It can't keep happening, can it? Well, you mentioned that there's a couple of potential reasons that maybe we don't get enough pressure on the ball, which could be a reason because, you know, professional footballs, if you give them a free shot from 20 yards or so, you'd expect them to hit the corners the majority of the times and make it very difficult for a keeper. So you do have to make sure you get the get pressure on the ball and make it, don't give them time to, you know, pick their spot and hit that spot with power because obviously then it's going to be very difficult for Button. And I mean, the two against Blackburn, the, I think it was the first one that Ajayi kind of loses out a tackle. And after that, I think it was Diaz for the first one. He had he had a bit of time then after he'd kind of won that draw with Ajayi to, to pick his spot. and. Gallagher after that he kind of drifted as he was running forward he slowed down Townsend kind of carried on into the box and it created that bit of space for for him and he he um you know had again a bit of space there so yeah it's worth saying probably the four that we've conceded from outside the box in the league have been near perfect shots haven't they yeah I do think they've been quite difficult to save and I, I don't like putting too much of the blame on Burton at the minute because I think they have been very good shots. Um, it could be, it could be button though. Um, but if it is, then it's the kind of thing you'd, you'd expect the coaching team to know that maybe button's got a weakness from long shots because obviously every goalkeeper's got their, you know, the shots that they prefer to save and shots that they're weaker at. Just like players will have finishes that they're better at, maybe crosses or through balls, etc. So, but if that is the case, then you need to set up the team to stop the opposition being able to take long shots because, well, you know what buttons, if it is buttons weakness and you know it's that and you've got to prevent that being exploited. Um, I mean, if you look at the pure numbers on it and you look at the expected goals on target, so the chance of the ball going into the net after it's the shot's been taken, so to do with where the shot's been taken from, the power on it, the placement on it, etc., then that's at 4.16. So... The average goalkeeper, according to that, would have conceded 4.16 goals or, you know, four, for example, um, rather than eight. So that kind of points in the direction that Button's shot stop in this season has been below par. But again, it's a small sample size. Um, it's a far from perfect measure. So, yeah, I think there's, I'd say it's a kind of mixture of the, the three reasons down to probably a bit of bad luck and a small sample size there. Um, maybe Button's not been performing as well as he should have and the fact that we do need to get more pressure on on players when they've got the ball on the edge of the box to stop them taking those shots and picking their spot. In the longer term, 
if you were to pin your colours to a mast on this one, would you say that you are concerned about this trend uh, in the sense that we are that, that you think we we may well be doing something wrong or would you say that you are largely unperturbed because you expect this to end up being something of a bit of a a bit of a data anomaly which starts to level itself out and that and that probably actually our general defensive play is all right i think the general defensive play is pretty good because we i mean I mentioned it to you that the average distance from that shots, the average distance of shots that oppositions, the opposition are taking against us are um, twenty-three yards, which is quite a long way out. I mean, that's averaging from outside the box. But if you look at the average goal distance, and it's twenty-three point five, so it's, we're probably the only team in the league, well, and probably the top four English leagues that have got a average distance of the goals that they've conceded higher than the. The shots that they've, the opposition has taken against them. Um, so by limiting the shots to mostly distance, it's you know it tends to be a sign of a good, a good defence, which is promising. I think we do need to, you know, do better to to make the shots from distance um, more difficult by closing them down and and getting out to the player because otherwise teams will exploit that if they do. Well, I assume teams will be picking up on the fact that we've conceded a few. Maybe Bunn's not good from range, so they'll be trying to work routines like like Huddersfield did from that corner to to create those opportunities to to shoot from distance. So, which we weren't alive enough to, were we? I mean, I, I was I, I was in the stand right behind it, and um, as, uh, unfortunately, a guy that I'm going to come on to praise a bit later on in in the in the pod has made a mistake. Um, Jed Wallace, the player, runs past him, and Yukoslu in the middle of the penalty area screams at Wallace to go with the man. At which point, Wallace reacts, but at that point, it's too late. The short corner's been been taken, and I think you you spotted that Grady didn't get out quick enough either. Yeah, I think it was not really on Grady, but more on the kind of structure of the. The set pieces, the defensive side, um, because Jed out, Jed went out for the short corner. Obviously, when it's played short, you want two out there, so it's not two on one. So Grady got Grady initially started on the edge of the box, um, but then got dragged out there to stop it from being a two on one. So as soon as he gets dragged out wide, then the edge of the box is free. So I think it would have been better another man from the box went out to the short corner as well as Jed to to stop it from being a, a two on one, and then Grady would be able to stay on the edge of the box and prevent that long shot from happening. But, um, you know, there's two sides of the story there. If we'd got another man dragged out, then would be one, one less defender in the box to defend across if it came in. So I think it'll be something that Bruce and, and the coaches consider there and whether it's, whether we change the, the setup there in the coming games to, to prevent that space being created from on the edge of the box you know, I mean, we'll see. I think, I think we will see a slight change there. Um, obviously, it's marginal, but if we are poor at stopping, is if Button is poor at stopping long shots, then it's a you know a small change that that needs to be made. Yeah, and you have to say, I mean, the shot from adjoining is is near perfect as well. And it's interesting because uh, I mean, anybody who listens to the podcast regularly will know that I use Who Scored for a lot of their a lot of their data. And anybody goes on Who Scored will know that they give you a little written summary of the the strengths and weaknesses of of each team's uh, individual performance. And 
every every single practically every single team that we've played this season. Next to their summary, it says we're strong at finishing. Like it's it's it, it's like we 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 come up against strikers at the moment, and they just they just have their best day against us. I I honestly think it can't keep happening because Pete and you know we'll talk about the first 30 minutes in a moment but putting that aside again we were very very good against Huddersfield and we've been I mean Cardiff was mediocre but we've been we've been generally we were generally pretty good against Hull I don't uh, it wasn't the greatest performance against Blackburn but I think we did enough to win the game similar against Cardiff I don't think it was the greatest performance but I think we did enough to win the game we were we were really good against Borough in the second half I think we've generally done enough in most games to win them yes you can't start a game like we did against Huddersfield yesterday and that's that that is that is very very poor but in the wider sense I think there's an awful lot in the performances to be pretty, pretty happy about. And I think, I think if you were an independent data analyst with absolutely no stake in West Bromwich Albion whatsoever, say, say, say you were somebody who was heavily into your betting and, uh, and analyzed performances to try and get an edge in the betting markets and try and try and bet on what almost predict the future effectively through the data. I think what what if you were an independent, what you would probably be looking at the West Brom data and going, it is a time to back West Brom because this can't keep happening. I think that's probably what the data is screaming. Now we all know, and I'm, I'm sure there's people screaming at their uh, screaming at their headphones or their their car radio or wherever they're listening to this and going. Yes, Chris, but numbers on paper is not the same as as results on uh, on a football pitch, and I do get that the data does not always conform to what you would expect it to. But the reason it's used so much is that it is a useful guide. And at the moment, if you were looking at the data on West Brom, you purely what you would be thinking is they're playing pretty well, and sooner or later this is going to turn into results. Would would you agree with that, Pete? Yeah, and um, I mean, I think it's kind of, not to dig out any other teams in the league, but I think it's kind of the opposite for Blackburn. I mean, obviously they lost this weekend, but... Well, they've gone um, off a bit of a cliff, haven't they, after after completely defying the data for three games. Yeah, exactly. When you looked at it, you, you'd say what they were doing is, is unsustainable and they are going to have a massive drop-off and it seems to be starting now. So hopefully the opposite kind of happens to us now. You you look at the data and think, you know, they they should be performing better than, well, should be getting better results than they are. And um, hopefully we start to see that and we start climbing the league pretty quickly because, yeah, I don't think we've really had any, apart from the first the first 45 against Borough and the first 20 or so against Huddersfield, I don't think we've had any actual bad performances really so far this season. No, I would tend to agree with it, which is why, you know, I'm I'm pretty vocal about the fact that I uh, and the, the, I'd like to point out these people are becoming a smaller and smaller minority. The people that are still vocalizing concerns over whether Steve Bruce is the right man, I don't understand them at the moment. I mean, first of all, six games in and and quoting league positions is just ludicrous. You know, the the, the team has the, the league hasn't taken any sort of shape at the moment. 
I, you know, anybody who want who who wants to have a charity bet with me that 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 the um that the that the league will finish with Reading and Rotherham in the top six, for example, bring that bring that bet on. I will, we will happily raise some money for charity there because it will not happen. It will one hundred percent not happen. So you cannot uh, take the league as it stands at the moment. And Burnley started yesterday in mid table. They won't they won't finish in mid table. And I don't think we'll finish as far down the table as we are now. I mean, I'm not saying we're going to achieve everything that we want to achieve. That at the moment is dependent on quite a lot of factors, not least as not getting many injuries because we've got no depth to the squad. But I honestly believe there's a good squad here, much better than last year. And I think Steve Bruce is doing a good job. I think he's got us playing some some nice football. And you look at the second goal yesterday. This is what really confounds me about some people. I put a, a tweet out yesterday about uh, with a clip of the second goal that said, this is fabulous football. And I had people coming back to me and going, it's a lot of sideways passing. Hang on a second. These same people were having a go at us for just launching the ball aimlessly into the box last season. Now we're, we're taking on two banks of four, a low block a lot of the time. And what we're doing is we're shifting it across the pitch to try and uh, actually disrupt those, those banks of four and to try and create spaces, avenues for our midfielders to get into, which is exactly what we do. We create an avenue for Swift. We create an avenue for Wallace, which is why Swift, who does very well physically, by the way, in the in the box. And we'll talk a bit more about John Swift a bit later on, because I was very impressed with his physicality yesterday. Um, but Swift brings the ball down. Lovely little touch. Wallace is in space, just enough space to volley it into the box. When Manchester City do that, it's brilliant football. When West Bromwich Albion do it, it's sideways, sideways. And look, I, I appreciate the fact that, uh, that that some people were not and possibly never will be convinced by Steve Bruce as West Bromwich Albion manager. But you can't take a bloke on it, on his name. You know, we'll be open on this podcast. We did a whole podcast about potential replacements for Bruce at the end of last season. Why? Because me and Pete didn't think he was the right man for the job. We had said we would have given him a contract to the end of last season, and then we would have, we, we would have hired somebody else. But I tell you what, we're, we're also big enough men to, to stand here and say, actually, he's doing a much, much better job than we ever expected him to. And that maybe we've been turned around a little bit on that, certainly for the time being anyway, you've got to give the guy a fair crack of the whip. You've got to give him a squad worthy of the name. And if you do that and then he fails, then fair enough. We move on. We move on to the next bloke and we see what they can do. But we will not, not get success from chopping and changing managers all of the time. And we won't get success as well when somebody is clearly building something, developing a style of play that isn't far away from being successful in the vast majority of games by sacking them purely based on nothing more than results. You know, because uh, because okay, it is a results business, but you can't expect somebody who is compl- trying to completely change the style of play to change the results that quickly. And just one more thing to address, Pete, before uh, before I hand over to you, is that I'm so sick of people saying Nottingham Forest sacked their manager and brought in Steve Cooper midway through last season, and that completely changed them. Yeah, all right, it did. But there's a few things to mention on that. First of all, 
I don't think there's a that there's a manager like Steve Cooper available. Second of all, Forrest were awful under Hute, and we are not awful under Bruce. Thirdly, Forrest had a much, much bigger squad than, than we have, which meant that Cooper changing the way that they were playing was much, much easier. And he got investment in January, which although there's promises there from Lye that the loan will be returned in January, I don't believe there necessarily will be much money available in January. And the last thing is, just because it happened to somebody else doesn't mean it will happen to us in the same way. You, you've given me, uh, there's one example there of, uh, of a managerial change that uh, that worked. I can give you, loads of managerial changes mid-season that didn't work that Stoke changed their manager mid-season most seasons and uh, and don't don't push on towards the playoffs and they've got they've got a big squad big budget premier uh, players that should be pushing on towards the premier league maybe it'll work for them this season they've done it yet again but it doesn't normally so the uh, people please stop the people who are saying this please stop saying Nottingham Forest sacked their manager last season. Therefore, if we sack Bruce tomorrow and brought somebody else in, that w- that we would have a similar run because it just doesn't work like that. Yeah, and just to add to that, um, Steve Cooper and Forest is that after the first ten fifteen games, they were if you're looking at the um, expected goal difference for them, they were you know about zero point negative zero point two five, which is you know you're kind of looking at mid-table to the bottom half of the table. Um, so basically, they were, they were very poor. Whereas with us under Bruce, we're, we're about 0.7, 0.6 at the minute, which is kind of playoff form. So basically, Forrest were pretty rubbish before they sacked, before they brought in Cooper. Um, whereas we're, we're performing fairly well and we're just kind of not getting results yet. So yeah, I think there's a time and a place to, to get rid of the manager, but... And it of... is worth saying the majority of fans do see that. I, I think the, the 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 diatribe we're having here is towards a very small minority of fans. Yeah, exactly. But you know, when I think when you're thinking about sacking a manager, you've got to think about performances rather than just results. Because in a you know football's so low scoring that a tiny bit of luck can can win you or lose you a game. All it takes is is one goal. It's not like it's it's not like it's American football or rugby where they're high scoring and the the margins are. A, a much much bigger you know football is it's fine margins it's one goal that can can decide a game one second of of luck or, or bad luck so as long as the performances are there then i'd say i'm pretty happy to have to have bruce in charge so would you say he's he, he's changed your mind on him because i think i think he's changed my mind yeah i'd say so you know i was pretty vocal in saying i was hoping we we're only gonna have him till the end of last season and then look at bringing well, have someone ready to bring in for the new season. But I'd say we've rec- recruited pretty well. Um, I mean, we've brought in two, well, three fantastic players. The only the reason I say pretty well is because we seem to have spent the vast majority of our budget on three players when we've got a playing squad of about 16, which is slightly concerning when we start to pick up injuries. Um, and even more concerning when you see League Cup performances like, like Derby. Yeah, but... You know, the starting eleven is probably up there with some of the best in the championship after the recruitment that we've done. And I've said before that I don't think Bruce needs to be a, a tactical magician to get this team playing. I think he needs it's more about the kind of the mood in the dressing room and keeping confidence high of the players and obviously there is some work for the manager and the coaches to do, but with a squad as as good as we've got relative to the division then 
if you can keep them happy, keep them confident and keep them playing and enjoying the football, then they are likely to, to perform well. So, and that's supposedly what one of Bruce's biggest strengths are is to, you know, his man management and keeping a, a dressing room, you know, in good spirits and, and happy to play, um, which is what we need because, like I say, we've got one of the best squads and, well, one of the best starting 11s in the division. So if he can do that, then I think we will start to pick up results sooner than later. And I mentioned, I mentioned the second goal yesterday, our second goal uh, yesterday. I th- personally think that, that the way we've created that goal is a huge, huge positive, Pete. I mean, first of all, I do think it's brilliant football. But also, I think that's the exact thing that we failed a bit again, uh, against last season. You look at the amount of teams that started playing a low block against us last season and we didn't have an answer to that a lot of the time. I mean, it, it's, it was no coincidence really for me last season that our better results came against teams like Bournemouth and Fulham at home. And then, you know, we, we, we would play teams like, for example, Derby at the Hawthorns, and we just couldn't find a way through when they would come and absolutely park the bus against us. Barnsley away was an, was another horrendously frustrating evening as well. And you think back to these games against teams that had little to no inclination to come and attack us. And OK, Huddersfield did attack us for the first um, 20 minutes on, uh, on, uh, on Saturday. But... Once they once they got, the, I mean, to be honest, they shut up shop a bit after the first goal. It's just we've given them the second goal on the break. You know, we won't. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sit here and dissect what Daro Shea was thinking. He knows he's made a horrible mistake. Um, I'm sure he won't do it again. He's he thinks that he can shepherd that ball out he can get his body across the player and then for some reason when he can't do that he thinks he's going to get a foul and he's not going to get that foul not in a million years um it's just a bad mistake but Dara's a good defender he'll come again I'm sure he won't do that but they shut up shop from there they absolutely shut up shop and that is the kind of team we would not have found a way through against Last season at 2-0 in that game with two banks of four and a low block against us, we would not have found a way through against them last season. But you look at the first goal and you've got you've got Grady making a lovely little run in the penalty area and then pulling a great ball back. And you've got midfielders arriving late into the penalty area with Wallace to tap it in. That wasn't happening last year. And then you look at the second goal and we're just patient, patient, pass, 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 wait for the gaps to uh, to open up, wait for the runners to go in uh, from midfield, Swift, Wallace, get in the 18-yard box and we pick our moment and we pick it beautifully. And you look at the things that we're doing now to break teams down. I honestly believe, Pete, after going two goals down, we would have lost that 2-0 last season. I I think that those the way we created those two goals is a huge positive to how we can play against the low block going forward. That first goal was brilliant from Grady for me. Um, you can see that he wants to get on the ball and he's he looks so much more suited to playing in this system than he did last year because he gets the ball at his feet and there's there's options for him. Um, and it was kind of it was linked in with something that I noticed with Jed was that when the ball wasn't on the right side. And when the ball was on the left side, he was really drifting central and, and even over to the left side at points. Um, 
obviously when the ball was on the right side with Furlong, for example, then he would be wide in there for as an option to, you know, whipping across. Um but when it was on the left side he would drift over to centrally, so we'd almost have two strikers there or sometimes even drift to the left, which is what happened for the first goal, because he linked up with Grady. I think there was about I think Grady played it into into Wallace, who then played him into the box and moved centrally to to receive that cutback. So I think they played about three or four passes with each other to create that goal, which is, you know, it's brilliant. It's, it was sharp and and it broke down that low block, which is what we struggled to do a lot of the time last year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, when we've got players like Grady and, and Jed playing like that, then I'd say there's a good chance for each, in each game that we will be able to break down low blocks if that's what we come up against. Um, obviously, it'd be nice to have a target in there and as I well. And I think we will come up against it quite a lot because I, I think I think teams um, largely back themselves, especially, as you say, at the moment without a target man to defend their box against us. Yeah. Um, I mean, it kind of makes sense rather than giving us space to, to counter on them and leaving space in behind um, because then we've got people like Grant who is pretty happy making runs in behind. He made a, a few good ones against Huddersfield. Um, one that I'm sure we'll mention later on that led to him being tackled through the back of him. Um, oh yeah, I'm not I'm not letting that one lie, mate. Don't worry about that. And there was another one where he had a, a shot. Um, I think the tr- the only issue with them is that he always seems to make them from the right side of the defence across the left, so that whenever he receives the ball, he's receiving it on his left foot. If he could start to make them from left to right, then and actually be receiving it on his right foot, then he'll probably have a bit of a better chance to to finish them because it's on his stronger foot to take the shot early. Um, but he did make a few good runs in behind. Um, I think Townsend picked him out for a couple, which was nice to see. But having a target in there as a different option to do Grant would be extremely useful because, I mean, everyone can see the quality of Jed Wallace's crossing. So if he's got someone to hit in there, then, you know, that'd be another, another method of trying to break down those low blocks that I think, I mean... You can't have too many options really for, for trying to break down teams. So, yeah, that's, I mean, I've mentioned it a hundred times before, but that's the, the kind of area I'd like to see us recruiting him for the, the end of the window. You mentioned Townsend there. So I'm just, I'm just going to move on to this a little bit because I feel like there's a bit of a narrative growing around our fullbacks that they're not good enough. Now, I understand this a little bit more with Furlong. We have stuck up for Furlong on this podcast in recent weeks. I have to say, Pete, he, I don't know about you, but he sometimes challenges my commitment to sticking up for him with the the inconsistency of his performances. And I didn't think he had a good game against Huddersfield. But Townsend is the one I can't really get my head around because in terms of that, it doesn't seem like people always see what he brings to the party. For me, he brings an awful lot. I think he's integral to uh, to the way we play. I understand he's not a marauding wing back, and he never will be. And he is much more conservative than probably a lot of fullbacks in the in the modern game. In terms of that, he's not dynamic in the way that he thunders up and down the line. He's not. I think athletic is probably the word I'm looking for. That's that's probably what he's not. But with Grady playing the way that he's playing in front of him, I'm not sure that matters that much anyway. And when you actually look at what Townsend does bring, 
It's a great deal. And I mean, looking at yesterday purely, you said there about Townsend slipping people in. He played the most key passes of any West Bromwich Albion player yesterday with four key passes. I mean, that's unbelievable for a fullback. He he also touched the ball more than anybody else, 107 times, which is an incredible number. I mean, obviously, that is that means that Townsend is touching the ball more than once a minute. He had an 84% pass completion rate, which is not bad. He had the most interceptions in our entire team. And he also had the second most successful tackles behind Malumbi. So to me, what those numbers say is that he's doing his defensive job. He's also doing his offensive job because he's playing as more key passes than anybody else in the entire team, which means he is being extremely progressive for us. And the sheer amount of balls that are going into him, the sheer amount of touches that he's having says to me that the guy, everything is going through the guy. I I think he's a really important player, Pete. I think he's really important. He progresses the ball forward. A lot goes through him. He had the most progressive passes yesterday with 10. Second was Grady with nine. And then behind him was the highest was six from Swift. So, you know, that's kind of shows that he's key for moving the ball forward. I think he had five passes, slash crosses completed into the penalty area. So, I mean, you say he's not marauding fullback, but, you know, he, he definitely helps to, to get the ball into the area, into dangerous areas. And, I mean, that showed with the expected threat as well, actually, because he was high. Is that, is that part of the problem for him, that for two seasons he's had nothing to hit in the middle? Because, we, we you know, we've both seen his crossing data and it's really good. Like, he, you know, he puts a lot of balls in. And actually, when you look at the expected threat of them, they're good balls, but there's been nothing to hit and there's still nothing to hit. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, that doesn't help. Like, it keeps coming down to having a target in there. Um, I mean, one of those passes into the penalty area was the one through to Grant. He had a cross into into Wallace. It was a good cross that he kind of went with his, the outside of his foot for and, and hit it wide. Um, yeah, I mean, personally, I, I thought he had a pretty good game um, and he's so involved in possession, even if he doesn't play extremely high which we don't necessarily need because we've got Grady playing out on the left so he naturally drifts wider rather than tucking inside and then once he gets the ball then he drives inside which opens up the space for for Townsend to overlap which is where a few of his crosses come came from but yeah he I mean Townsend almost acts as a as a midfielder in possession when Huddersfield is sitting deep because he just is involved in in the passes and he plays plays higher up than the the centre-backs, obviously. Um, I mean, I think in the the video that you posted of us moving the ball around for for Wallace's second goal, he must have had a a fair few passes in that where he's involved in just kind of moving it around and he does it accurately. Um, He progresses the ball accurately. And he's tucked in quite a lot as well. As you say, positionally, he's quite central. Yeah, exactly. And he's, yeah, I mean, he's he's heavily, heavily involved in everything. I think he is one of our more comfortable passes on the ball. So it kind of makes sense for him to to get involved like that. So, yeah, I personally think he's he started the season pretty well. Um, I think last season he was he was pretty good as well. Um, in that Premier League season, he was excellent when he broke through. Well, as excellent as a player can be in a relegation side that performed like that, but um, he was definitely one of the standout performers there. Um, so, yeah. I personally have no issues with him being our first choice left back. No, me either. And it's not a position I would be 
I'd be looking to improve. I have, uh, I have to say, I think he's, I, I think he's, a, I think he's one of the best left backs in this in this league. Okay, he's different to what what people think about as a as a left back, but in the modern game. But I think he's a really really quality player, and I think he's really really important um, for uh, for us. To be honest, you you did briefly mention the penalty decision there, Pete. Before we um, talk more more generally about our away form, which is the next thing I want to come on to. Um, let's just, let's just touch on that penalty decision. I, for the life of me, cannot understand. I know the referee's excuse has been that a player ran across his field of vision and therefore his view was blocked. That may be the case, but there are four officials on that football pitch in radio contact with each other. Steve Bruce has described it as the worst penalty decision he's ever seen. Um, I'm not quite sure I'd go that far. Um, I, I think I think I go back to Graham Dorans against against Man United when Gary Neville pulled him down as one of, as probably the worst decision I've ever seen. I've I, I've never seen a decision quite that bad, um, but. It's it's well up there. It was stone wall. I mean, we as the Albion fans were in the stand facing that penalty box, and the Albion fans around me and myself were celebrating the penalty, like we were actually started celebrating because it was so blatant that it, it had to be given. I mean, I can't believe that there are four officials on that pitch, all in radio contact with each other. Everybody in that ground has seen that. Even if one man, I, the referee, the man in the middle, has his view blocked, there is a lines a lines person on on the halfway line. There's another one who I have actually seen the um, the cross pitch angle of, who has a completely un, unobstructed view across the penalty area. So how he can't see it, I don't know. And then you've got a fourth official on the touchline who has exactly the same view as Steve Bruce, and he knows it's a penalty. I I just don't understand how they get that wrong, Pete. The thing was that it was Grant had his body between the ball and the the defender, so the only way that the defender was ever going to make contact with a ball that was such a big contact like that is to go straight through the back of him. Um, yeah, I mean, I can I understand Steve Bruce saying it's the worst decision he's the worst penalty decision he's ever seen. I'm not sure. Yeah, like you say, I'm not sure it is the worst one, but it's certainly up there because it's with four officials. You'd expect one of them to be able to, well, not even have a, a good view because obviously the the officials need to be able to see it to give it. But it was just so blatant that the linesman does have a good view, though. I've seen I've seen that angle. The other thing is, Pete, and you can tell me if you think I'm wrong on this, but. I mean, I've I've been fortunate enough to work with with some referees over the years because I used to do the I used to do the floor managing for the Albion, which involved being stood in the tunnel, stood with the with, with the fourth official, and um and 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 speaking to the referees before game for the pre match briefing and everything like that. And you know, you get to know referees a little bit over the years. You you like some more than others, the same as you like some people more uh, more than others. And the referees that I got on with that I had a good relationship with I you know used to talk a little bit too about the game and good referees good referees who know the game tell you that they can read player reactions and they they they, they know almost from player reactions what a decision should be because you can tell the difference between a hopeful appeal 
and genuine players being in utter disbelief that you're not going to give something. And I think that a better referee than the one we had on Saturday would have read the player reaction, even if he couldn't fully see it. And I know I'm kind of going slightly against what should happen here um, because you would, a lot of people would say no referee should ever guess. They should just give what they can see. I get that, but I'm drawing on my experience here of ha- having had a relationship with referees over the years and uh, and knowing a few and speaking to them about the game. And I'm telling you right now, the really good ones tell you they read player reaction. Yeah, I think it's all part of the process to to making decisions. I mean, they've they've got to see it in real time, and they've only got one one chance to see it. So they've got to take in as much information as they can, whether that be what they actually see with their eyes, player reaction. Everything. I mean, obviously, you can't let it influence them massively, but like you say, the experienced ones would be able to to properly read that. So, um, yeah, I mean, every Albion player knew that it should have been a penalty. I'd be surprised if there were any Huddersfield players that thought that it shouldn't be a penalty. I think everyone on the pitch could see it and probably everyone in the stands could see it, but it seems to be the, the, the four people that mattered couldn't for people that matter couldn't see it. So yeah, I'm yeah, I'm in disbelief about it as well. That being said, we shouldn't have been in that position. Um we shouldn't have been having to rely on uh, on that because we dominated an hour of a game away from home. We had enough chances in the game. Um it is I mean we were chatting off air beforehand, Pete, and we we, we were saying, I mean He's obviously not the best finisher in the squad, but Yukoslu on another day could have had a hat trick. You know, he's had the one where uh, where Nichols made a great save. He's uh, he's then completely missed his kick for one that Swift's pulled back to him at the start of the second half um, and nearly shanked it out for a throw in. And then he's had a great chance from a header where he sh- he he knows he should have looped it into the corner rather than wide. Um, so we've missed a lot of chances as well. But the slow start is it's concerning. We can't start games like that. We can't give teams a two goal head start. There's no no, there's no getting away from that. And it's something that we've done quite a bit away from home. I mean, it's some, it, it, you know, we, we put ourselves on the back foot against Blackburn and, uh, and played our better football in the, in the second half. We, we started appallingly against Middlesbrough and then played really well in, in the, in the second half. But again, you're working from a one goal deficit and you and I have ran the numbers on this a, a bit, Pete. And actually, when you look at, I mean, obviously, we've only got um, 25 league games to judge Steve Bruce on, not a 46-game season. So you can never know how these things will extrapolate over a whole season. And also, you know, it's across two seasons. It's across two different squads of players. So there are many mitigating factors here. But what is becoming noticeable is that our home form under Bruce in... um, 13 games reads six wins, five draws, two defeats. Now that's a points per game of 1.769. If you compare that to the home records of teams last season, we would only need to turn two draws into wins to have a top six home record. So effectively, what I'm saying to you is, you took one of those chances in against Watford and Carlin Grant scores that penalty in the last minute against Coventry. And we have a top six home record. No problem. So I don't think we're far away. 
at home. I think we're doing largely the right things. And I think we will get there because I think results will get there at home. And I don't think we will, as, as I say about us having the capability to break down the low block, I'm, I'm not sure we will dr- draw the kind of games like we did against Derby, for example, at home last season. I, I, I think as the season goes on, I think we will win those sorts of games, the ones where teams don't come to play. I think eventually they will get broken down against us. But where, we, where it's concerning, Pete, is that Bruce's away record in 12 games reads two wins, three draws, seven defeats. Now, that's a points per game of 0.75. Now, that, as an away record based on last season, would have us... It would, it would be the fourth... No, sorry, the fifth worst away record in the division. Now, that's, you know, that's pretty concerning. So, I mean, effectively, what if you take that across a whole season, you would need, uh, you would only be winning four games away from home. The minimum you should be winning based on last season to get into the top six is eight games away from home and that was that that was that was Sheffield United the rest of the the top 6 Luton won 9 Huddersfield won 10 Forest won 10 Bournemouth won 12 uh, Fulham won uh, won 13 so we need we we need to be three times as good away from home than we're currently being to finish in the top 2 the away form is something something of a concern i don't think the home form doesn't need much improving it just those real low margin games we need to turn into into wins but if we are going to get anywhere near promotion we either need to be freakish at home and literally win every game to compensate for how bad our away form is or we have got to turn our away form into something akin to a promotion team because at the moment what we have is a bottom six teams away form yeah, and I did, you know, similar research, but looking at uh, expected goals, um, which I tend to do, but it basically came out of very similar, similar results that, um, at home under Bruce, we've had an expected goal difference per night of 0.61, which is basically a playoff level top six, um, kind of form. And away from home, we've had, uh, 0.08, which is a kind of mid, mid table level um, performance so yeah it kind of highlights that we've got these issues away from home of um, and that it's kind of there's actual performance issues rather than just we don't seem to be picking up the results um, Do you also subscribe to the view that the problem seems to be the way we start games away from home you know teams don't tend to fly out the traps against us a lot at the Hawthorns but we don't send, seem to deal with it when when teams go at us from early on away from home yeah, I mean, like the first 20 minutes against Huddersfield, we were pretty awful, really. Um, and I'd say that was, it was Huddersfield's, Huddersfield's 20 minutes, I guess. Um, and we've had a similar issue in, in other games. We were pretty slow out against Blackburn, I think. Um, and it's Amber. Yeah. And of course, Middlesbrough for the first 45. Um, I think it's difficult to put, put your finger on it without looking at it into a lot of depth. I don't know whether it's, Maybe players just prefer playing at home with the, you know, with the supporters behind them and in the environment that they're, you know, they're they're regularly they're comfortable there. Um, Is it potentially lack of a target man as well, Pete? Because uh, I, uh, one thing I did notice on Saturday was that 
early on, they they closed us down with a lot of energy and therefore we went long a bit and the ball wouldn't stick with Carlin Grant. This isn't a criticism of Carlin Grant. I'm not trying to make him something he's not. But if we had a DK type up there, we might be able to take a bit more control of the early portion of games because the ball might stick. Yeah, I mean, we could get in trouble here, pinning all, all our issues on not having a target man if we saw one and they don't disappear. But yeah, I think I tend to agree with you there, um, especially with DK because he offers that in behind as well as being able to play straight into him. Um, so I think it would kind of, you know, just take the pressure off early doors if if that's what teams are trying to do, come out against us lively and put pressure on us instantly. Then if we've got someone up there that can make it stick, then it relieves the pressure a bit and we can settle into the game and, you know, get a few more touches on the ball and just get players a bit more comfortable and then and then start playing and, and dominating the game from there. So I think it would kind of help to just alleviate that um, pressure that teams seem to like to put on us early doors. There's no doubt in that, that Bruce has a bit of a job to do away from home. I mean, I think I, I know what you're saying. You don't want to put all the all the eggs in the basket of if we get a, if we get a target man, everything's going to be okay. Because I don't think that's that football is not that simple. If only, but I also think. I mean, you look at, for example, Button's pass distribution yesterday. He had a 38 percent pass completion rate, and this is not a criticism of David Button, by the way. The reason for that was that it was that Huddersfield pressed really, really high on us and Button had to go long with everything. Um, and he's got no choice on that because he can't play it out from the back because if he does, then uh, th- then we could get our pockets picked and, uh, and we could find ourselves even further behind. So not criticising David Button, but my point is when he has to go long and he has nothing to hit, it just comes back and back and back at us. But game state comes into, into effect. And when we go a goal down, which, you know, we did against Blackburn, we did against Middlesbrough, and we did again against Huddersfield on Saturday, teams inevitably don't press as high up the field because they want to sit in. They want to defend their box against the, against you. They don't want to get caught higher up the field with spaces in behind. So that's when, that's when you, you, we, we do are allowed to play in front of teams a lot more is when, is when the opposition are ahead. I actually think being behind away from home suits us a little bit because teams sit in and actually let us do th- the things that we want to do which is play through uh, play through the thirds i think teams force us to go long quite a lot in, uh, until they've until they've scored and i don't think i don't think that suits us at the moment yeah i'd agree with that and you know we actually saw the issues of trying to play out when a team's pressing a side last last season against Huddersfield when they um you know johnson eventually tried to clear it after they've been pressing us for, for 30 seconds and we've just kind of been passing around the back and it rebounded straight off their player into into our net. Um, so I think we're trying to avoid situations like that. But yeah, without someone's hit, it's it's difficult, but we do seem more comfortable when we, well, we definitely are more comfortable when we've got that space to to play out and, and actually have possession of the ball, especially in there, in the opposition's, um, half. Maybe we should give them a goal head start. You know, like you used to if you if you were playing the year below on the playground. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we could do because yeah, I mean, we settle into the game more when we've we're actually behind, especially away from home. Because, like you say, we've got a bit more space to to have that possession. Um, I think, I mean, we should be able to to have a threat in behind anyway because players like Grant he does make runs in behind, but maybe sometimes we just need to 
get rid of that pressure early doors and kind of turn the defence and, and give Grant something to chase into the corners just to, to you know, relieve that pressure a bit and, and turn their defence and just show a bit of threat in behind to see if that stops teams from pressing so high. But yeah, I think I think we do definitely look more comfortable when we've got more space to play in and the opposition's got more players, you know, deep in their own half. I want to finish off the chat about Huddersfield today just with talking about Swift and Wallace. That's a sentence I expect to say an awful lot this season, if I'm perfectly honest. I think I think a lot of the conversations we'll have on this podcast will uh, will end up being about Swift and uh, Swift and Wallace. And well, I mean, Wallace is going to be a quick conversation. It's just going to be us saying that he's great again. I'm I'm, I'm sure. But just starting off with John Swift, Pete. I feel like when I watch the Albion play well, it's when we get John Swift into the game. Second half, Middlesbrough um, against Watford. Weirdly, he had a weird game. I didn't. I thought he was disappointing, um, despite the rest of the players playing really well. But against Hull in the second half, he was unbelievable. And I thought second half against Huddersfield, he was uh, he was fantastic. It's He's a bit of a mercurial talent, isn't he? And he can be he can drift in and out of games and it's a little bit of a frustration. But it seems like it seems like he is a real key to us playing well and being a creative force because when he starts getting on the ball, and he again he had um I, th- I think he had the second most key passes yesterday. He had the um I think he had the uh, the most shots as well, although none of them were on target, a little frustratingly. But when he when he starts getting on the ball and playing, we start ticking as a team, don't we? Yeah, and he's obviously a, a massive talent. Um, I think the it's not criticism, obviously, because he did have a, a very good game and we look be- better as a team for it. Um, but I still like to see him just get involved a little bit more centrally because when you look at kind of the passes that re- he received, there's a lot on the left wing. Um, a lot of very similar ones actually kind of coming backwards and diagonally inside. There's about six or seven of that similar style. So, I mean, I'll have to have a look into exactly what that was because it's an obvious pattern. But there's a few on the right wing as well and then a few deeper centrally. But there's a bit of a space kind of centrally on the edge of the box where there's not many that he receives, um, which is obviously where he's going to be most dangerous from. And, you know, the second goal actually came from him receiving that that long ball just outside the, the penalty area um, and centrally. Physically, he's done so well for that goal, hasn't he? Because he's held off the defender. I, I thought uh, I thought he was... I thought he put himself about a bit more against Huddersfield than I've seen him do so far for us. Yeah, and when I was watching that back, he, had, he kind of... I think the reason why he can do that is because he just... Before the ball's played, he, he kind of drifts off the defender a little bit and just creates that tiny bit of space that the I minute mean, so that the defender's not touch tight because I think if he is touch tight then obviously the defender stands a, a better chance but yeah I mean he used his body really well was strong there and it's a great touch to bring it down and then you know another great touch to to flick it over to to Jed but yeah I think I mean saying that he if he does get just a bit more involved centrally on the edge of the box then I can see him getting quite a few assists um I mean he probably drifts out to the left because that's where where Dian Garner is so it's the best kind of the best player to, to link up with and where we're probably going to be more threatening from from combinations and and intricate passing. Um, I mean, 
he did receive five passes inside the box himself. So he was getting into into dangerous areas there. Um, and it's he seems to be settling into the side a bit more. I think in the first few games, he like you say, he kind of drifted in and out a bit and wasn't didn't influence him as much as I think people were hoping him to. And on Mr. Jed Wallace. How good's Jed Wallace? Like, I, I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna sit here with a little air of air of smugness, Pete, that I, I picked, predicted him for our player, our player, fans' player of the season, because I'll be gobsmacked if he doesn't win it. I mean, the guy's just fantastic, technical ability, dynamic, works hard, just like he's he's just a cracking, cracking footballer, isn't he? Yeah, he's brilliant, isn't he? Um, you know, he, even when he didn't get any assists yesterday, but you know, he got two goals, so I think well, and he definitely could have had at least one assist. That that early that cross to um the low cross to Yakuzlu in the first mm-hmm. half that was a brilliant pick out from him. And I mean, Yakuzlu probably should have done better himself, but yeah, absolutely. And the take play. for his second goal—that's not easy, is it? No, and against a, a good keeper as well, he, it's not easy, and he he got power behind it, which is I think what was key to actually beating the keeper because his name escapes me now, but he's he's a top keeper and. Nichols, um, that's it. Yep, Nichols. Yeah, really good keeper. So it definitely needed the power behind it, which he he got without giving giving it too much um too much height and smashing it into the top of the stand. So yeah, brilliant take from from him there. And just to finish off, Pete. Obviously, there's a few days at the time of recording. There's a few days left of the uh, of the transfer window. Um, I think we know that there are not going. There is not going to be tons and tons of business because we haven't got any money um and we've covered why we're not going to we're not going to rake over the fact that mr lie is using the our football club our glorious football club as his own personal bank account we've been there we've done that but working within the realism of where we financially are as a football club what do you think what do you want to see us do in this window i know We'd we'd all love to see six, five or six come through the come through the door because I genuinely don't. I don't think that would bloat the squad at all. I think it would get it would get the squad to about twenty one outfield players, which is what I think it needs to be at. But we're not going to get five. We're probably going to get. I, I would th- I, if we don't definitely get one, we might as well give up on this season because nothing's going to happen. I think there's a fairly good chance we'll get two. And I think three, and you see, you see Brucey turning cartwheels in in the park, which is quite an image to behold if we're if we're perfectly honest with ourselves. What do you think we should be should be looking for? I mean, the blindingly obvious is is a physical type striker, and if you've got any names to kick around, feel feel free. But outside of that, if you were filling that other spot. Or spots, if we got as far as two two other players besides the physical type striker, what would you be looking for? Yeah, the striker is the obvious one. Um, I did take a brief look into that, and I think the best two. It's probably. I mean, it's most likely going to be a loan, really, isn't it? We've got no money to spend, and we seem to have lost out on any free agents that were kicking about. Unless we bring back Andy Carroll, that is. Um, who I probably wouldn't mind. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be? Wouldn't that be an odd little quirk? Mm. I mean, I, I, for both sides of the coin as well, because uh, you know, don't mean this disrespectfully to Andy Carroll, but he's clear—he's clearly over overvalued himself in this market, hasn't he? Yeah, 
you'd think so. Um, otherwise, someone would have come and snapped him up. Obviously, it's another risk there is that of his injury history. I know he, he didn't suffer any last season, but with his past, he can't really... I, th- I think you'd be brave to, to only have Andy... Well, to have Andy Carroll and Daryl DK, who seems to be... Hopefully, it's just a bit of bad luck, but seems to be picking up a bit of a an injury record himself. So I think that's a bit of a risk having those two that, you know, you wouldn't be surprised if they're both injured at the same time. Um, I do quite like Sam Surridge from Forest. As do I, by the way. Um, I think he's a good player. I mentioned that a couple of weeks back and he seems to fit the mod that we want um, and Forrest has done. So you wouldn't be surprised if Surridge was allowed to leave on loan. Um, you know, Cameron Arch is obviously there. He's not getting any, any minutes at Villa. He's just sitting on the bench. So he might be one that opens up for a loan move. Big right competition with Burnley, it would seem, though. Yeah, yeah, which... Um, and they've got more money than we have. <laughs> yeah, that's the issue, isn't it? It all comes down to, to the money. Um, obviously, the strike is what I'd like to see filled. I think that's the, the priority. I think everyone can agree on that. I have to um, say, Pete, just on that, I think some of the names that have been kicked around in the last few weeks are, are, are ludicrous. Um, like, I mean, we're, we're recording this on Sunday afternoon, obviously. I don't know when you guys are watching it. And behind me on the screen is the is the Wolves-Newcastle game where Chris Wood's playing up front for Newcastle, who, as if we're to believe it, is on about 100 grand a week. I can't imagine for one second there was any ever anything in that. And the Ollie McBurney link, confuddled me as well because we know we've got no money for a transfer fee so why on earth would Sheffield United let a guy out who is starting for them as well at the moment on loan to a championship club I mean that's the sort of thing we do Pete not not the sort of thing other clubs do yeah that's very true isn't it and Moat started for for Borough I think at the weekend so um I think I'd quite like McBurney but again it's probably unrealistic obviously I think everyone would like Chris Wood because he's a Premier League striker and we're playing in the Championship. But again, unrealistic. Um, I think Sam Surridge is more realistic. Cameron Arch is more realistic. But there's going to be competition for both of them, I'd imagine, if they're if they're allowed to leave on loan. Um, but going away from the striker, I think we could probably probably do with another. I'd like to see another left back come in. I think, um, but probably one that's that's maybe comfortable slotting into centre back as well or a centre back that's comfortable slotting into left back because ideally I'd like to see Ashworth go out on loan. Um he's gonna develop much more if he, he gets a loan move like Caleb Taylor did. And, and and Ingram as well for me. I felt sorry for the two of them against Derby but they, they, they got they got taken to the cleaners, didn't they, both of them? Yeah, but I mean it's it's kind of, it's not a million miles away from what you'd expect. They're they're just inexperienced at senior level um, and they need to gain that experience somewhere from what I've heard Caleb Taylor's having a, a very good start to the season I know Cheltenham haven't as a team but I, from what I hear and what I've seen Taylor's been, been good there so and he's been playing every league game I think so if Ashworth and Ingram can get that then they'll come back to us next year as much better players than, than we've got at the minute and then maybe there'll be options to, to actually get into the they're starting at 11 and, and push for places, but at the minute they're, they're filling the gaps that we've got, but they're not benefiting from it themselves. And Well, the lack of squad depth is really holding players back, isn't it? Because you've got to say, there's a number of players, as you say, um, Ashworth, Ingram, 
I mean, look, say it quietly, Pete, but if we had the options, I think Taylor could benefit from from a loan move because I don't think he's gonna I don't think he's gonna start loads of games this season. I mean, look, we're nowhere near the level of squad depth that would allow that to happen. Um Cleary as well, I think could uh, could really do with uh, with a loan move. And the thing is, if you could actually send these players out so that they get a full season in League One somewhere playing. I think genuinely by last by next season you could be looking at um Caleb Taylor, Taylor Gardner Hickman, Josh Griffiths, Zach Ashworth, Ethan Ingram, although he's got a little bit more developing than the others to do, Andreas Cleary, all playing a real serious part in your in your team. But I think without 20, 25 starts somewhere, I'm not uh, Obviously, TGH is further along than the others, but I'm not sure. Any, it, it, certainly, none of the others are going to get anywhere near that without 20, 25 starts. And unfortunately, at the moment, the only ones who are getting that level of experience are Caleb Taylor and Josh Griffiths. Yeah, I mean, we don't actually want Ashworth to get that experience with us because that probably means that Townsend's got a long-term injury, which comes back to the squad depth. We'll probably struggle because as good a prospect as Ashworth looks, I wouldn't be confident and comfortable with him playing 20, 25 games in a row as our left-back. I'd love him to, to be able to prove me wrong there, and I'm not saying he wouldn't be able to, but I just wouldn't feel comfortable. Unlike with Townsend, I'm, I'm very comfortable with him playing there, and he'll do a good job. Um, yeah, ideally, Ashworth goes out at probably a similar level to, to Caleb Taylor into a League One or maybe a League Two club, but you know, Caleb Taylor's out getting experience Josh Griffiths that you mentioned. Um, I mean, he goes out every season and gets minutes, and you know he's definitely going to benefit from it in the future when he when he finally comes in to be. Um, well, they're top of the league, aren't they, Pompey? Yeah, you know exactly. So when he finally comes around to to being in the first team squad and and pushing for that number one jersey, then he's going to be the one that benefits from having spent the past two or three years out at different clubs and gaining that experience and gaining minutes and, and developing as a player. The ones that can't get those minutes are, are being held back, like Ashworth, like, um, I mean, clearly he's, he's very, very young, but... Is Gardner Hickman being held back at the moment? Do you th- do, uh, uh, Which camp are you in on this one? Do you think he needs to stay a part of this this Albi- Albion squad? And are you? I know there's Albion fans out there who think he should be getting more minutes than he is. Or... Are you in the camp that he probably does have a bit more to learn and in, in, in an ideal world, you would have the volume in the squad to send him out on loan so that hopefully he became ready to maybe even be a potential first-choice starter? If we had enough squad depth, I'd, I'd send him out on loan and hope he goes somewhere, probably towards the top of League One and, and has an absolutely brilliant season and comes back and, um, you know, is a key player for the for the next season because yeah I mean it's all about minutes really as a youngster and obviously level of playing as well because playing in League 1 and League 2 is very different to playing in the Premier League 2 Gardner Hickman's not really getting many minutes for us in the Championship so I mean if that's the way it's going to continue I'd be surprised if there's anyone that's going to argue he does he benefits more from being sitting on the bench for Albion than he would playing every game at Portsmouth for example I don't know if he'd fit in there or whatever. That's just because Portsmouth's on on the mind. But you know, you get the point that 
he'd be better off getting minutes very regularly at a slightly lower level and coming back ready to to push for the for the starting eleven next season if he's if Bruce is going to carry on only giving him a few minutes here and there. Um, Absolutely, I think it's important to say when when we talk about we'd like to see these players go out on loan, it's not because we don't rate them. It's quite the opposite, actually. It's because we do rate them, but as Pete, as you say, Pete. It's about minutes at that age, and I just, I just worry that that we are that we're wasting the talent of some of these youngsters because they might they, they might end up stagnating, getting you know hundred hundred and fifty minutes over the course of a whole season for us in in the championship, and that stints their development and holds them back. Whereas one season out on loan at a League One club could turn them into the championship starter that we need. Yeah, you just have to look at, I mean, I know it's a, a different level and a different, a different level, yeah, but players that drop into the championship from Premier League clubs that have brilliant seasons. I mean, we saw Harvey Barnes do it for Albion. He was absolutely terrific for us. And, you know, everyone knows that he got recorded in January and, and he was pushed on and pushed for a starting place in in. Leicester's starting 11 in the Premier League at the top half of the table. So, I mean, you could see something similar happening for our young players if, as long as they get that game time that they need. But obviously they'd have to drop down a level to get that game time to then get that experience and show their qualities to be able to push for a first-team spot at Albion in the future. But the majority of them would like a low move as well. But because of the squad depth that we've got, the club Albion simply can't offer them out on loan. No, absolutely. And it, it is it is it's holding up our young players back. Yes, yet another example of how our um our owner is um handcuffing the club to a certain degree unfortunately. But look, let's uh, there are a few days left of the window at the point of recording. Let's hope it is a really really positive few days and that Bruce gets the players that he wants in because I think there's a lot to be positive about certainly on the face of it. I think what our best eleven? The I mean, and we all know what that, that that looks like at the moment. It's the it's the eleven that started against Huddersfield. The best eleven that we have available at this moment in time, I think, looks pretty good on the most part. Yes, it's lacking a striker, but generally speaking, it's pretty decent. I worry about what's beyond that in terms of the squad. So let's hope that the the next few days brings a striker and a little bit of squad depth because I think that'll give us a real, real shot at this division. And of course, before the window closes, we've got another game against Wigan um, on Tuesday and then we play Burnley at the Hawthorns on Friday. As I've said before, it's just not logistically possible for Pete and I to record after every single game. They are just... Too fast, too furious in the in the championship. We, we you know we we do um, uh, we do have jobs and and lives uh, un, uh, un, uh, unfortunately out, outside of this. So the next pod will be after the Burnley game. Hopefully by then we'll have a ton of things to talk about. Pete, we'll have two wins. We'll have a new striker. We'll have a load of squad depth, and we'll have a partridge in a pear tree, mate. We're going to have it all. So let's look forward to that. But until then, as always, thanks for listening and up the baggies.
Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.